This Sunday in particular, we the priests have desired to offer to the parish community a little bit of catechesis on the sacrament of confession. And the gospel itself is very helpful for this purpose because it shows the form of sin. It shows the form that sin has by these temptations of Christ. In some way, we can identify in each one of these temptations one of the fundamental ways in which we turn away from God. So let's go through them for a brief moment before we come to the specific confession uh, of our sins. So the first temptation is that Jesus turned the stones into bread uh, to satisfy himself. And this sin is, could in some way express all those ways in which we make the first interest in our life being the satisfaction of the appetites of our body. And we do this in many, many ways. We find many ways to make ourselves comfortable. There are whole industries dedicated to making sure that we are comfortable, nourished, satisfied in all our appetitive needs. And as we saw on Ash Wednesday, part of the work we do uh, during the season of Lent is to try and take a little step back from all of that consumption so that we can discover more truly what it is that our heart truly desires and really desires. So this is that first form of temptation is this consumption to allow ourselves to be continually fed and therefore never to allow our heart really to speak. Then the second one, which is in a sense the core and the heart of the temptations that Christ is put to after his fast in the desert, is this one of finding a shortcut, finding a shortcut to win the human race to himself rather than passing through the drama of human freedom. My friends, I know that it's not a popular opinion in the world today, but I think many of you are deep enough to have already figured out that the church, far from being uh, the enemy of human freedom, as so many people would seem to cast her, is actually the last bastion of human freedom, the last defender, the ultimate defender in the world of true human freedom. And this is exactly what Christ is rejecting here. He's rejecting manipulation. And manipulation is when we are led like the animal with a ring in its nose, that when we're pulled, we go. We go without the engagement of our freedom. And the world finds many ways, and we find many ways to manipulate our brothers and sisters. Um, and this is one of the forms of sin. The human being is made by God to be free. Did you ever notice that the church doesn't have an enforcement arm? Did you ever never notice that there's no office downstairs with the officers of the church who go out to make sure that everyone's obeying the laws of Christ? We don't do that. We don't do that. And in those few moments in history when we might have been tempted in that direction, we ultimately fully and completely rejected those initiatives because the, human, the Christian proposal is a proposal to human freedom. It is a proposal to human freedom. And there should be no adult here present this morning who's not here because they chose to do so, right? Some of the younger ones are still learning and still, and still being educated by the parents uh, in what life is, all, is for and about, and they're brought to church. But anyone, once they become an adult, they are offered by the church the great proposal of human freedom. And all of the rules, all of the laws, all of the 
instructions that the church gives are all indicators to the path of freedom and not coercion. What Satan wants Jesus to do here is instead of going to the cross and winning humanity into that reconciliation with the Father through the movement of human freedom, who seeing the love of our Savior is moved to unite ourselves to him and in him find salvation. What Satan wants him to do is to take a shortcut. Satan's offer to Jesus is the very thing that Jesus came for. Jesus came to win the kingdoms of the earth, the world, to win all the human beings in the world for the Father. And Satan says, I'll give it to you. It's mine. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is worship me. But Jesus has a different path. And the path of Jesus is true through the solicitation of human freedom, through an offer and a proposal made to human freedom on front of which each one of us says either yes or no, right? This is the great sin, the betrayal of humanity, the betrayal of the humanity of the other. And we can join in this. We can use so many means. We can use simple force of our own personal authority by which we steamroll over the freedom of others. We can use emotional blackmail to control the situation. But in actual fact, because the other is another human being like myself, what we have to do is propose, invite, offer something great and beautiful. That's how we live together peacefully as human beings. So let us recognize also that we on front of our brothers and sisters do not always treat one another with the full dignity that is ours as a human being. And we don't, know, we don't need to go to the tragic battlefields of Ukraine that we're seeing on our screens now to find examples of this. We can find them in our very own homes uh, and among our friends and in our own souls. Then the third temptation uh, which Jesus offers is what I would call the iPhone temptation or the Android phone temptation, just to bamboozle, just to be bamboozled. Jesus up on the, and he jumps down and it's entertainment, it's fun, it's glitzy, it's attractive, and it stops us thinking. And here, my friends, we have so many things that we surround ourselves with that stop us thinking that stop us, that just bamboozle us, just fill our attention with wonder and delights. And for some reason, that little screen is so compelling that many of us, many of us, very often, we turn away from our most sacred and beautiful duties to love of family, attention to kids, all those things, and we allow ourselves to be absorbed in, in that being bamboozled. And Jesus clearly rejects this also. So, all of those things said, let us move on for a moment to the sacrament of confession. The sacrament of confession is the sacrament by which Christ left in the hands of his church the power to forgive sins and to reconcile us with the Father through the merits and the grace of Christ, through the merits and the grace that Christ won through his paschal mystery, through the paschal mystery, his passion, death, and resurrection. He has won the authority and the merit to reconcile us with our Heavenly Father. And he gives us this through a special sacrament, 
a special sacrament that is the objective moment of that gift, right? That's what confession is at its heart. It's an encounter between the soul and the Lord Jesus Christ. In confession, the sacrament of holy orders of the priest is at work because the priest that sits in that chair with all of his humanity, a human being just like you, but because of the sacrament of orders that he has, he in that moment stands in for Christ. He stands in for Christ. And therefore the priest doesn't say, I don't know if you ever noticed, but the priest doesn't say, and Jesus forgives you. He says, I forgive you. Because in that moment, the priest is standing in for Christ. And who you are confessing your sins to is not the priest. It's through the priest you are confessing your sins to our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this way, the moment of confession can be very well compared with the moment with Jesus and Peter by the shores of the Lake of Galilee. After Peter had betrayed Jesus, he was sorry immediately. When the cock crowed three times, what did he do? He went out and he wept bitterly. He was deeply sorry for his sins. But yet, he needed the encounter with Christ. He needed the encounter with Christ to fully recover from this wound he had inflicted on himself. And that encounter came later, came later in the adventure came some days afterwards when Peter, for the first time, finds himself sitting down with Jesus in around the fire where Jesus has prepared their breakfast. And Peter is sort of sitting back. Peter doesn't have his usual confidence there in the front row being the protagonist. Now he's burdened in his soul and in his heart. He feels sad and sorry, and he doesn't know how this reconciliation with Jesus is going to come about. He doesn't know whether he's going to be cast aside. He doesn't even know if he's welcome there. Probably in his heart he doubts it. Probably thinks at the very least they're going to take the, that leadership from me that was given to me. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter, you're not really a rock after all. You know, what you did shows that you're not really a rock after all. I think John is a better bet. Maybe he thinks in his humanity, we know what Peter's like. Maybe he thinks that's what's going to happen, right? So he kind of hangs back, and then Jesus turns to him and asks him. Jesus could have asked Peter many, many questions. I often think about this. He could have just said, Peter, how could you? How could you? And just looked at him, and Peter would have been crushed. Peter would have been devastated. And he wouldn't have been able to say anything, right? Instead, the question that Jesus chose to ask Peter was the only question that Peter could answer with real and true dignity that could allow to emerge in Peter the real thing that's a value in Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. And Peter recognized the third time that these Questions represented the awareness in Jesus of those three betrayals. And that by each of his, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. The only thing, the only dignified answer that Jesus can elicit from Peter is the one he looks for. And Peter is able to say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. My friends, the sacrament of confession is that. It's the sacrament in which after we have sinned, 
we come to Jesus and we stand we're there with him and we let him look at us and recognizing our sin, which we announce in the, through the confession of our sins, we allow Jesus to elicit from us the affirmation of our attachment and love for him, and he forgives us our sins. Peter didn't get booted out of the leadership. He didn't get made a non-apostle anymore. Jesus didn't substitute Peter. He reaffirmed him in his vocation in a clearly deep and explicit way. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. When we go to confession, what happens? Jesus doesn't demote us. He sends us out again to live our vocation and our life. He sends us out to continue to live the adventure of fidelity and relationship to him. And that's what happens in confession. So, a few details about the great sacrament of confession. First of all, what do you need to confess in confession? You need to confess all the mortal sins of which you are aware, right? You need to confess them, as the Catechism says, in number and kind. You need to say what sort of a sin it is and how many times you did it to the best of your ability. We're not computers. We identify to the best of our ability how often we committed a particular uh, form of sin. And those, that's what we have to say. We can add to that also the venial sins that we may have committed, especially those venial sins that may be habitual and maybe we need to fight against. And we can bring them forward for special graces for that particular struggle that we have against some particular little form of sin that trips us up like what we call white lies. No lie is ever completely white. All lies are the least quite gray, and some of them are black. And it would be great to learn not to tell little lies. So we can tell that. We can confess that in confession, right? So those are the things we need to say in confession, the mortal sins that we've committed and any venial sins that we would like to confess. Our venial sins, per se, are forgiven for example, in the penitential rite of the Mass, if you come to Mass and you're there and the priest says, to prepare ourselves to celebrate these mysteries, let us call to mind our sins. If you call to mind your venial sins at that time and then you join in the rite, those venial sins are forgiven. They're forgiven in that forum, right? That's why we call it preparing ourselves to receive the sacred mysteries, right? So... That's the, that's the first thing. Th those are the first things about the structure of confession. When should we go to confession? Well, as you know, the law of the church says that we should go to confession once a year. That's the absolute minimum. And the law of the church also tells us that we must receive communion worthily during the Easter season. And part of that worthiness to, see, to receive Jesus in the Eucharist during the Easter season could very well imply, in most cases I think it would imply, that we need to go to confession to prepare ourselves for that worthy reception of Jesus in the Eucharist. When we don't go to confession once a year, we commit a disobedience to the positive law of the church, which is the law that guides us on our way. And in that way, it's like missing Mass on Sunday. To not go to confession during the year is a disobedience like the disobedience of not going to Mass on Sunday, and therefore, at least potentially, 
in matter. It's a mortal sin, it's grave matter, and therefore it should be confessed. However, the development of a worthy spiritual life often requires us to go to confession much more often. A very good guide for the faithful people of the church, and I know that many of you adhere to this, is a monthly confession. You, you make it your habit to go to confession once a month. And that's why on the first Saturday of the month, we always have the line going all around the church because everyone's coming. Just a little hint, you could choose a different one than the first. And that way we would kind of, we could even out that uh, crowd. But uh, yeah, once a month is a very, very good counsel. But even if we're once a month confession people, we should also be aware that confession is not synchronous. Confession is when we need it. So if I know that I had the misfortune to fall into a serious sin, I should go to confession at the very next possible opportunity, right? I should make a good act of contrition as best as I can, and then I should go to confession uh, as soon as possible. St. Pius X, in his famous catechism, gave four qualities of a good confession. He said the first thing he said is it should be heartfelt, he says it should be complete, he says it should be true, and he says it should be short, right? Brief is the word he uses. Now, let me just come to that word brief for a moment, because it's not that you have to kind of shear your confession down to an absolute minimum, but there are a couple of things we should do. We should prepare ourselves for confession. When we go into the confessional, we should know what we're going to confess, and we should have figured out to the best of our ability, how long it is since the last confession, because that's a part of a good confession. We say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been since my last confession. We should figure that out. We shouldn't come in and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Mm, uh, I think it's been about uh, a few weeks, several weeks. Though the, we should try and figure that out. We should try. We're doing something great and beautiful and we're coming before the Lord our God. So let's not, let's not just kind of fudge it. Let's try and do it intentionally and well, right? And then we should have thought of the sins that we're going to commit. We should know if there are mortal sins, we should know what they are. If there are no mortal sins by the grace of God, which hopefully often there aren't, then we should choose the sins that we're going to confess, uh, that we're going to confess in that confession perhaps something that work, we're working on at the moment, uh, perhaps something that's caused uh, disruption and, 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 and broken the, the, the atmosphere of charity or something. We, can, we, we, we should know when we go into confession what we're going to confess, right? If we need some advice on some point, we can ask for a little moment of advice to clarify something, but we do not need to make confession into a spiritual direction. Spiritual direction is a different thing. Spiritual direction is when you set up an appointment with a priest or another counselor, and there are lay counselors prepared to do this, who've been formed to do this, when we set up an appointment to work on our spiritual life in a very deliberate and specific way. And I know there are some here who have spiritual fathers, and that's a very good thing uh, if you can do it. But the, the confession isn't for that. Confession is for you to reveal your conscience in front of Christ and to respond to him that you love him and to receive from him the forgiveness for those sins, right? After you've said your sins, the priest may pick one 
or two particular little things that he'll comment on briefly, and then he'll give you the absolution, and then you go out and you, you say your penance, right? There are three things necessary for a good confession. One is that you should never fail to confess a mortal sin of which we are aware. That would make it a bad confession, and in itself, a mortal sin. So if we go to confession and we are aware of mortal sin, we must confess that mortal sin. We can't go out without it, right? Otherwise, we, we would have been better not to go in until we were ready to confess that sin, right? So when Pope Pius X says complete, he means that. He means that we don't omit any mortal sin that we are aware that we have committed, right? We need to be truly penitent, right? There's a difference between what we call perfect contrition, which is based on the pure love of God, and imperfect contrition, which is based on lesser, lesser sentiments of inadequacy, self-regret, other things that aren't perfect contrition. In confession, imperfect contrition is enough, but there must be contrition. We need to regret that we sinned, and we need to have in our hearts the desire not to sin again, not to make that sin again. Now, this is not a bet on how likely that is to happen. When you come out of confession, you have to desire not to commit that sin again. If somebody was a betting man and they said, well, what are the odds that you won't? You might say, you know, I hate to tell you, but it's, it's 10 to 1 against me not committing it again. That doesn't do away with, in, with, our, with our desire for amendment. Our desire for amendment is a position of heart. It's not about our capacity, our ability, or the strength of our will to accomplish. It's about our heart. So we need to desire and have decided that to the best of our ability, we won't do that thing again. And then we need to accept the penance that was given to us as a participation uh, in Christ's sacrifice. Right? So those are the conditions of a good confession. Prepare your confession and make your confession truthful, heartfelt, and brief in the sense that essential, that we say that, that we need to say. It's not a moment to come down and have a chat with the priest. It's a moment to meet Christ and to open our heart and receive his forgiveness.